Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I'm going to be joined by Dana DiTomaso, and we're going to explore how to use Google Analytics for, for marketers. Now, I know that many of you have been sitting in their hands and may be aware of the fact that the analytics as we know it is coming to an end very, very, very soon. And that's the reason why you need to pay attention to today's episode. You're going to learn a lot. By the way, I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. And if you're new to this show, be sure to follow us so you don't miss any of our future content. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Dana DiTomaso. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Dana DiTomaso. If you don't know who Dana is, she's an analytics expert and co-founder of Kickpoint, an agency that helps businesses improve their marketing. Her courses include advanced GA4, migrating from Universal to GA4, and analytics for agencies. Dana, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited that you're here because we're going to talk about something that the whole world needs to kind of pay attention to, right? Which is Google Analytics 4 for marketing and it's coming people and it's coming fast. But before we get into this, I would love to hear a little bit of your backstory. How in the world did you get into marketing and analytics? Start wherever you want to start. Yeah. So I started in this field in 2000. So I've been doing this a very long time. Uh, and what was 
I came into it from a weird way. So I actually have a degree in geography. I was originally going to be working in ecosystem restoration as a fluvial geomorphologist. So people know what that is. I have no idea what that means. Someone who does river rehabilitation. Okay, cool. Yeah, I was going to be working on rivers to, to bring them back to a natural state. Oh, cool. After I graduated, there wasn't a lot of jobs in that field because the government that had just come to power where I was living cut all the environment jobs. So like, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I ended up getting a job at a software company. And that led to a job at another software company. And then when I got laid off from that second job, they gave me a really nice severance. And I thought, I've always been interested in websites. I'm going to learn how to make websites. And so that's what I started doing. <laughs> and then my very first client, so I was freelancing, when I launched their website, she said to me, how do I get on Google? And I said, I don't know. I'll get back to you. This is 2000. And so I did some searching and I figured out that I actually liked SEO a whole lot more. Than I like making websites. So I did strictly SEO for a long time. And then I got interested in analytics just because SEO is, I wasn't really capturing my attention so much anymore, but also, you know, as an agency owner, clients are asking for results and they want you to prove the value for the money that they give you every month. And so it was a matter of, you know, digging into analytics was really interesting and now it is something that I think really separates good agencies from poor agencies. It's not just, you know, having analytics, but like what you do with that data. And so that's, you know, led to where we are now. Okay. So around the 2000s, you were developing websites. And fascinatingly enough, I started in the 90s, mid 90s, and ultimately did have a web development creative agency. And you know, I remember when we used to have to code HTML and then these visual editors. Did you use Dreamweaver? I did use Dreamweaver. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yep. me too. Yeah. Yep. And Kathy uh, <laughs> Wyman's book or whatever. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. I had that one. Yeah, it was yep. great. Yep. So along the line, you became a search engine optimization expert, if you will. But somewhere along the line, you you pivoted into analytics. So what year was it approximately that you started focusing more on the analytics? And was it Google Analytics at the time or was it something else? Yeah, it was. It was actually Tag Manager that got me into analytics. So I think it was 2015 or 2016. And I said, you know what, I'm just gonna have to sit down and learn this Google Tag Manager thing. I've been putting it off because I didn't want to learn programming. So I thought it was quite programming heavy. And I guess the first version of it was more than the version that we have now. But I'm just gonna learn this. And then as I learned more of the things you can do with Tag Manager and the stuff that we weren't capturing that we could capture, then I got really excited about it. And so that that led to getting into analytics because you got to put the data somewhere. And <laughs> so let's talk about like the last year or so. Let's bring it up to the present. So somewhere along the line, you get into doing courses. Tell us a little bit more about what's been going on for you in the last year or so. LinkedIn Learning approached me just over a year ago, actually, and said, would you be interested in making courses? You're recommended by someone. And so the first course I did was technical SEO, since that's my, my background. And then I said to them, you know, a really good course to do would be transitioning from Universal to GA4, because I think this is going to be a big deal. And at the time I recorded that, they hadn't actually announced the sunset date for Universal Analytics yet. It was just, at some point, you might want to move. And now that they've announced the sunset and there always seems to be a Twitter poll, it's like, hey, do you think Google's going to move the date? They're not going to move the date, everybody. I'm really sorry, but like get your stuff off of Universal and put it in GA4. And so that's been a lot of our work now is really helping people, getting them to understand the differences between Universal and GA4 and building a lot of reports in Data Studio. Actually, or pardon me, it's now called Looker Studio. I can't possibly bring myself to say that. It's still Google Data Studio to me. But it's building a lot of reports because the interface in GA4 sucks. So what was it like? Because you're the only person I know that actually has worked with LinkedIn. What is it called? LinkedIn Learning? Yeah. Is that what, what, what's it been like working with them? How's that been for you? They are awesome to work with. Uh, I really like their team. They 
they really understand how to create courses. It's what they do. Uh, a lot of the people who work there, the original lynda.com before LinkedIn bought them. And because they understand, you know, adult education and how to structure a course really well, it, it means you have a really like tight schedule. But at the same time, it's very manageable because they have a rule about, you know, a course should be about an hour long. That means you're going to have five minute videos. You're going to have X number of videos. And then some courses are longer. I think my advanced GA4 is maybe an hour and a half because there was just so much to cover. But that way it's easily digestible for people and they really get, you know, what you're going to fit into those five minutes. So tell us just a little bit about KickPoint. Who do you service? What do you help them do specifically? Yeah, so we work with clients of really all sizes from tiny places. We have a Fortune 100 client as well. But what we mostly work with are in-house teams. So we work with a lot of in-house teams to teach them how to do this stuff because it's not it's not rocket science, right? It's, it's marketing. <laughs> so a lot of especially SEO people are like, oh, no, you can't do it. Or there's some sort of like special, you know, dark magic that goes into it or something. It's really not. And so often, you know, from an agency perspective, it's cheaper for some clients to do some things themselves than it is to pay an agency to do it. So, for example, we'll teach our clients, you know, how to do a better job of managing Google ads or Facebook ads, how to keep up on SEO. And then we're always in touch with them. So something changes like GA4 will email and say, hey, this is coming. We can set it up for you. P.S. You need to know about this, this and this. And so because we're a small agency and we do want to stay relatively small, we don't want to have retainer clients who are just there forever. So we work with much shorter time frames for clients and, and figure out over time sort of you know, doing the same thing every month forever. It's let's do this for six months. Okay. Now we're going to do this other thing for six months. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing your story. I think it's really useful for people to understand your background and the fact that you've really heavily focused for quite a few years here on the analytics side of things. There are a lot of marketers out there, including many of them that work for my company (laughs) (laughs) that are like burying their head in the sand right now and do not understand the urgency here of why there's going to be this big change from what's known as universal analytics, which is Google Analytics to the rest of us, into this new GA4. So I would love you to give the case to everyone who's listening why they or their boss or someone on their team or their clients really need to pay attention about what's going to happen here, the changes that are coming in the world of analytics. So on July 1st, 2023, Universal Analytics, which is the analytics that you know and probably don't love currently, is going to stop receiving data. Doesn't matter if you still have the tag in your websites, it's no data is going to go in there. So you basically will have no idea what's going on. You have to be using GA4 by that point. And then by the end of 2023, although that date might get pushed a little bit further, universal analytics data will be gone, like gone. You won't be able to access it anymore, which means you're going to have to get it out of universal analytics into a tool like BigQuery, which is Google's database software, for example. I don't have a lot of good tools yet to export from Universal to BigQuery. I think those will come out closer to the actual, we need to get our data off of here deadline, or Google might provide a tool as well. But that's what's going to happen. And then with GA4, you have to have it set up because the problem is, even if you only set it up today, you're not going to have year-over-year data in GA4 at this point. right? So so if you're past July, you're not going to have year-over-year data, which means you're going to have to compare year-over-year with (laughs) Universal, which means you're probably going to have to learn a tool like Data Studio in order to do that comparison. So you're already a bit behind the ball. And you don't have to do anything fancy with GA4. Like, there's lots of things that we talk about setting up, but the basics is just get the GA4 code on the website, worry about enhancing it later. But just having things like sources and channels and page views, like just get the code on there and just worry about the rest of it later. Okay, so just to summarize what you said, 
in July. July 1st. July 1st of 2023, which is coming very fast. Google Analytics as we know it, which is also known as Universal Analytics, will no longer work. And by December, the end of the year, it will essentially disappear. Now, the bigger question that a lot of people are asking themselves is, why the heck is Google doing this? Can you try to address the reason why this is coming to the end of life? Google's obviously not saying this directly, but it's because of privacy issues, particularly regarding GDPR. Google's in a lot of crap, simply with the European data authorities. And there's always these posts that are put out saying, you know, Google Analytics is banned in Italy or whatever it is. It's not banned. There's security problems with it. And one of the security problems, and I can't quite, you know, I'm not a privacy expert, so I can't get into all the intricacies of it. And this is not a podcast on GDPR, although that might be useful. The issue is that when you go to a website that has Google Analytics on it, the information is sent to the states if you're a European citizen. And that is against the rules, essentially, because any data that's in the states can be accessed by American authorities for security purposes. And that's against EU rules. So GA4 has much better data controls. And so that's why they're not going to push the data of universal analytics. They have to get people off to GA4. And I mean, GA4 is a better product in general. It does some things a lot better than universal does. I like it. I understand why they're pushing people and the timeline is too soon, but you will like it eventually. (laughs) It just, it sucks right now. That sounds like something that a totalitarian state would say. You will like it eventually. It feels a little bit like Stockholm syndrome. Like, uh, (laughs) you know, eventually you'll be like, this is great. Yes, yes. You will like it eventually. It is great. It just looks horrible. I wish they'd work more on the user interface side of things. Do you feel like beyond GDPR, there's also lack of data at play here a little bit? Because there's so many different apps and software companies like Apple, for example, that are essentially blocking data flow, right? Do you also feel like maybe the data that's coming into Google Analytics, Universal Analytics is becoming less and less. And as a result of it, it's becoming less accurate. And therefore, there's going to need to be some modeling and AI stuff that maybe the old one can't do. Yeah, totally. And there's machine learning in GA4 for sure. And that, that's been built in for, for a while. So and that's part of their like, it's so great. I mean, the machine learning is fine. And it's it's neither here nor there. It's just a, a fact of marketing technology in the year 2022 and beyond. There's going to be machine learning involved. But I think the biggest thing is that it is those privacy rules and it's it's that storage of data that is the big concern. The reason why GA4 started in the first place was actually to bring together app data with web data in a single place. So you could track users across multiple platforms. And now it's, you know, the default web analytics tool. But in terms of actually tracking people and like looking at those numbers and saying, are they accurate? They haven't been accurate for a long time. You can't track everything that happens. About 20% of the internet uses an ad blocker. Those people are never going to show up. Other people have privacy rules, as you mentioned, Apple, although hilariously, they have their own privacy rules, but now they're launching their own ad network. So clearly they were just like kicking everyone else off so they could get the money. But even browsers, <laughs> some browsers are blocking data too, right? Like, oh, yeah, totally. Like Firefox, yeah. Brave, that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. So if you want to, for example, look at attribution and say, how did people, you know, where did my most purchases come from? Is it organic? Is it paid? Then you can only really look at people who use Chrome browsers and trust that data as much as you can. People in Firefox don't trust it. People on Safari, don't trust it because the cookie's clear every single day. As far as your website is concerned, you are a brand new person every single day if you use Safari, even if you're not. So if you have a lot of Safari visitors on your website and you're looking at those attribution reports and treating them like they're true, you're, you're incorrect, unfortunately. Yeah. And that's on the mobile side of things. That's a huge audience, right? Because most people on their iPhone, they don't bother to install Chrome. They just use the the native installed app. Why would you? Right. Exactly. 
Yeah. Okay. So we now understand uh, a little bit more about why the move to GA4. It's all sorts of things we just talked about. What can Google Analytics for? What is it solving for? What can it do? Let's talk about the benefits, if you will, of utilizing it. Things maybe that the old version cannot do. Yeah, it can track a lot more things than the original one could. Or or you could track things there, but it was much harder to get the data out. So in the old, and I say old, the existing <laughs> analytics universe, analytics, in my mind, it's old. I have to do everything GA4 now, so I don't I don't mess myself up. But it's like translating between two languages, you know? It's like, do I speak in English or French? Totally. So in the, <laughs> in the old GA, the universal GA, there were things called scopes. So something, for example, there was a session scope, which would be, I came to the website and I came to the website through organic and I convert it. Those are all session scope metrics. And then there's page scope metrics, which is I visited this page. I scrolled 25% of the way down this page. I played this video. And those are like hit level metrics is what those were called. And you couldn't mix the two. So you couldn't, for example, say, I want to know what pages someone looked at on their way to convert without doing a whole bunch of data blends and stuff like that. It wasn't something you could get at by default. So now in GA4, everything is a hit. So there's no separate page view event type. There isn't a transaction event type. A transaction is a hit. A page view is a hit. Somebody scrolling 90% of the way down the page is a hit. Somebody hitting play on a YouTube video on your website is a hit. And so because everything is a hit, it's a much more level playing field in terms of how you can mix your data together. You can also record way more stuff. So, you know, in Universal, you have events, you have the category action label. Those are the three things you could record. Now you can have an event like playing a video, you can have up to 50 individual parameters associated with that event. So for example, for one of our clients, they have a, a form that people will fill out when they want to purchase their services. In that form, they have several dropdowns of information, like how big is your company? Which location is closest to you? What industry are you in? So if we were going to record that universal, we would have like a super long actioner label that'd be like all this stuff mashed together. But in GA4, we can have a field for how big is your company? What office do you want to talk to? And then we can create a really nice dashboard for them where they can slice and dice these different pieces of data together to say, you know, how big are the companies who contact the Manchester office, for example? And so that ability to capture so much more data, I think, is the biggest mind shift between Universal and GA4 because you're so used to being limited in Universal. And now it's like, just forget what you know about Universal. <laughs> think about, you know, in a perfect world, what would you like to track? And that is something that is a lot more doable in GA4. Okay, so I heard two things. I heard that you called everything a hit, which really means a hit means like a trackable action, yeah. probably, right? Yeah. And you can record more parameters, for example. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I want to ask is some people that aren't super technical may not understand that Tag Manager and Universal Analytics typically play very strongly together. Do you need that strong integration in GA4 as well to do these kinds of things that you're talking about? You can run GA4 directly in your website. Google does recommend you run it through Tag Manager. But something that's nice about GA4 is events that you would have to record through Tag Manager, like I mentioned video views, for example. If you were going to have those events show up in Universal, you would have to set up a whole bunch of things in Tag Manager to make that happen. It's built in now. Ah. People doing a search on your website, that's built in. People downloading a file like a PDF 
PDF, that's built in. 90% scroll depth is built in. So there's a bunch of stuff that you had to do in Tag Manager that you don't have to do there anymore. But because we can capture so much more, actually our containers in Tag Manager are bigger now. <laughs> they work. It's like, we can record all this stuff. Let's do it. Things like, you know, how did they navigate to this page? Did they use a menu? Did they use an embody link? Was it a footer link? Like, I never would have recorded that in Universal because it would be too difficult to get the data out in an easily reportable format. But in GA4, because it's so flat, it's so much easier to get that out and, and better understand how people are using websites. Okay, so the big advantage that I'm hearing is really the fact that you can record a lot more things and you can track a lot more things. That's the big advantage. Is there any other major advantages to GA4? Does it make it easier to do reporting or anything like that? Or is it really just all about the the data input that's really the, the key advantage? Yeah, reporting is not great in GA4 currently. There's a section called Explore. It's okay. The real thing to do is, and this, uh, again, if you don't feel like you're a technical person, first of all, don't tell yourself you're a technical person. Everyone can be a technical person. I have a degree in geography. Come on. So if I can do this, you can do this. So one of the things that I always think say to people is make sure to export your data to BigQuery. There's a free export in GA4 where you set up a BigQuery database, you push the data over to there because there is this thing in GA4 called thresholds. So if they feel for privacy reasons that you're capturing personal information or like information where only one person did this and you'd be able to identify that person based on that action that they took, they don't show it in the default reports, but everything makes it out to BigQuery. So make sure to set up a BigQuery connection right away. And there's a help article. It is fairly straightforward to do it. I recommend doing that just because, and then you have control over your data as well, which is amazing. And something, again, that we didn't necessarily have with Universal unless you wanted to pay a bunch of cash. Quick question on the BigQuery. Is this some sort of a tag manager thing? It's a database tool. The, I meant the ability to connect the things together. Like, oh, yeah. No, it's in the settings for GA4. You you click on the BigQuery option and admin, and then it's you just walk through the steps. So one-time setting. And then even if you never use BigQuery, you've got it someday if you need it, is what I'm here to say. And the other thing is you were about to say? Audiences. Audiences are huge in GA4. So in Universal, and if you've ever used Google Ads, there's audiences that you can set up and say, you know, I want to show this ad to people who viewed this page or people who went on my website and didn't buy. But in GA4, you can actually have time-based audiences. So instead of saying people who came on my site and didn't buy, you can say, I want people who came on my website, watched two videos over the course of a week. Or people who came on my website, watched a video, then in that same session, added to the cart or came back a week later and added to cart. And there's lots of different layering and things that you can do with audiences, and you can create events based on someone entering your audience. So for example, for one client, they have a login link. They're a, a SaaS company, so it's software that you can log into. So we want to make sure that we're only thinking about the conversion rate for people who haven't signed up yet, because we don't care if you've signed up. Of course, you're not going to sign up again. You already gave them your money. So we have an event that puts people in an audience. So when you click the sign-in link on the website, we tag them as being a current customer. We send off an event, and then we just say, ignore everybody who has this event of current customer because we don't care about them when we're thinking about that conversion rate. That kind of thing was difficult and a pain in the butt <laughs> to do in Universal. It's so much easier now, and the targeting too for ads is going to be significantly better. Okay, let's talk about engagement a little bit and how it's different and why it matters. Because we, when we were prepping for this, you were mentioning to me that there is some differences between how engagement is between these two, Universal versus GA4. A metric that people report on from Universal and you shouldn't. So stop it now is bounce rate. And the reason why I say like don't report on bounce rate. So bounce rate in case you don't know what bounce rate was, you just saw it and you're like, this is people who came on my site and then didn't, didn't do anything and then left. Possibly. 
It also probably was people who came on your website, spent 20 minutes reading your stuff, maybe watched a couple of videos, but because they didn't go to a second page, because you weren't recording events when they watched your videos, they could have filled out a form on your page. If they didn't go to a second page and you weren't recording an event when they filled out the form, they would still be a bounce. So your bounce rate is meaningless. And when people say, oh, well, I want my bounce rate to be lower, like we can make it zero today. (laughs) I'm manipulating the data in Tag Manager. Bounce rate is meaningless. So that is no longer a metric in in Universal? So there is a metric in GA4 called bounce rate, but it is not anything related to the bounce rate in Universal. And I wish they called it something else. What you'll see in GA4 by default is a metric called engagement rate. So engagement rate by default is if somebody had your website open in their active tab. So all you people who are tab hoarders, like not in one of those tabs you've had around for six years, right? An active tab for at least 10 seconds by default, but you can up that to at least 60. 10 seconds is a pretty short time. I would say you probably want to up that based on what you're doing. So for example, like for your website, you know, Mike, for example, you want people to read, right? So you would probably put up the, for the longer engagement rate. Or if someone converted or if they visited two pages on the site. That's the engagement rate. I think that's way more effective. And then bounce rate is actually just the negative engagement rate. And what's going to happen? I know what's going to happen. People are going to look at that and say, my bounce rate doesn't match between Universal and GA4. It's not measuring things correctly. It's like apples to oranges. They are not the same thing. It's like apples to like leaks, like (laughs) not even in the same universe in terms of what they're measuring. On the engagement rate, what I'm hearing you say is it defaults to 10 seconds. Is that right? And you can change that in like a master setting kind of thing where you can have it be longer. And then you can look at the audiences, for example, that are more engaged versus less engaged. Is that kind of where you could go with something like this? Yeah. So for example, like display traffic, I mean, people spend money on display and they're like, you know, people have really low expectations for display advertising in general because it's usually trash. But if you have, for example, like one ad network you're paying money for and you see that everyone who comes in has an extremely low engagement rate, that's a sign that it's maybe bots or it's people who misclicked. I see this a lot on like traffic from newspaper advertising networks. And it's like people who are using the newspaper app on their phone and they didn't mean to tap on your ad and they hit back right away. Those people would not come up as engaged. So it's something where I think that that part of it is really useful, but it's more a diagnostic than an actual like reporting tool. Don't use it as something you're going to measure success against. Success is the things that make you money, bring your organization closer to its goals. You know, not everyone making money is not necessarily the goal of every single website out there, but you do have a goal. And engagement rate is probably not that goal unless you're like selling ads like BuzzFeed. What about time on site? Is that still a metric that's in GA4? Because it's I better, know- okay. for sure. There is an engagement time that's measured, but you do have to keep triggering events for it to happen. So it's like if you just sit there on the page, even if you're reading it, you scroll down, you don't necessarily get to 90%. You may not have an accurate time on site. So something that we've actually built is a metric called content consumption. And so in content consumption, it's run either as a WordPress plugin or through Google Tag Manager. And the way you set it up is you say, this is my container of content. So you get on the website, here's an article. This is the container for the article. When it loads up, it says, this article would take 10 minutes to read. This other article would take five minutes to read. This one will take two minutes to read. It starts a timer. And then when you've hit the amount of time it would take to read, and you've had the tab open for that long, it says, yes, this person dwelled long enough on the page to read it. The second metric is it looks for the bottom of that container. So you'd say, you know, the footer is the end. And then once the footer enters that user's viewport, it's what it's called when it it gets into your browser window, then it fires a second event to say that they scrolled down far enough. If both those things are true, then the content was consumed. And if none of them are true, it means that they just abandoned ship. If they dwelled long enough but didn't scroll, then they hoarded the tab for later. If they scroll down but they didn't spend long enough, then they skimmed through the article. 
And these kinds of behavior metrics can tell you how people are engaging with your content. Because you can know if, if you've got a video, you know that people played it, you know how long they watched it for, you know where they stopped. But when it comes to content, you don't necessarily know that. And so that's where content consumption really helps. And there will be a link in the in the notes as well that will take you to the blog post, which walks you through exactly how to install it step by step. Okay. So just so we're clear, this is some sort of a custom tag manager thing that you built that's kind of open to the world to use. And a WordPress plugin. And a WordPress plugin. Oh, either one. Yeah. So if you have a WordPress site, use the plugin. If you don't, then you can use the tag manager container. And it works on any site, the Tag Manager container. And does it send some new information into GA4 that might not normally be in there? It's definitely not in there. Like, this is brand new information. Got it. Okay, cool. Let's talk about audiences a little bit. I know we mentioned it a little bit already, but how are they different? Is there even an audience? There is some sort of audiences thing. I don't know if they call it audiences in, in Universal, but what's different about audiences with GA4 versus Universal and what do we need to know? Yeah. So the big thing is that audiences and Universal were really just used for ads. You didn't necessarily do a lot with them. Instead, you would use something called segments. So if you wanted to say, show me people are just organic traffic, you'd use a segment. So in G4, audiences are like segments and audiences now stronger and like the more improved version. And so you can use them for ads, absolutely. But because audiences can contain really whatever you put in them, you can use them in the place of a segment. And as I mentioned earlier, you can actually trigger an event when someone enters an audience. So for example, as I mentioned the example, like when someone logs in or clicks a login button on your site, you can say, oh, they're a current customer. And then you can remove them from consideration in your conversion reports. Another example is a client of ours who's a convention center, obviously had a couple of slow years. But one of the things that we measure for them is they have two distinct audiences that come to their website. It's people who are going to shows who want to know things like, when is the band going on stage? And it's people who want to book events. There's more people visiting the site who want to go to shows than people who want to book events. So if you only looked at the site-wide conversion rate, it would look horrible because you know, it's <laughs> those people aren't converting. They just want to know when their band's going on. So instead, we've created audiences specifically like wedding planners, meeting planners, convention planners based on the pages that you've viewed on the site and what you haven't viewed on the site. And then we're only showing the conversion rate for wedding planners, convention planners, meeting planners. And that really helps them know, you know, this ad was really great for wedding planners. This ad wasn't so great. We're going to shut this one off. It really removes the noise. One of the questions that comes to my mind, this feels a lot like the email software that we use where we can assign tags based on pages people hit, you know, and then we can kind of say like, here's someone who's interested in our conference, for example, because they visited our conference page, or here's someone who's a customer. These audiences that we create, it sounds like they're not automatically created for us. We have to create them ourselves. And is this something we can do in GA4 or do we have to use Tag Manager to do this? Like help us understand how the logic of that all works a little bit. Yeah. So there's an audiences section in the configuration and then you just set up the audiences. The audiences only start populating from the moment you create them. They're not going to go back in time. So make sure to set them up as soon as you think of them. <laughs> you can't edit an audience once it's published. So make sure you actually want to. You can edit the name of it, but you can't edit what it does. So, but you can always create more audiences later if you messed up something. More than once I've published and be like, ah, oh, I forgot to click that button button and then you have to delete it and start over again. But it's, I think what's useful about them is really thinking about, you know, what do you consider for your buckets for people who come to your websites? You mentioned, for example, your conference, right? Right. Just people interested in the conference. You know, that's going to be an audience, right? You're going to have different topics. So for example, people who have visited like more than five articles specifically about Facebook, that's a Facebook audience. Ah. You know, there's a Twitter audience, right? And people can also be members of more than one audience. So you can really start to create audiences based on specific topics. And then you could say, you know what, we're only going to show remarketing 
for people when we publish a new article about Facebook to people who've already shown an interest in Facebook. For those that are on the organic side of things, I also could think creatively about how you could try to get some demographic data on what these audiences might look like. For example, let's say we've got a bunch of different products, right? And we have different audiences based on different products. Or just the example you mentioned, like people that read articles that contain the, the word Facebook in the URL, they have an interest in Facebook. We could discern whether or not people who are interested in Facebook tend to go visit our social media marketing world page and can into a customer, which will help us maybe in some of our organic marketing to produce more Facebook articles, for example, right? Is that the kind of thing we could do with something like this? Yeah, for sure. So we have one client who wants to know what pages people start on in the site that are more likely for them to lead to another section of the site. And so I can't say the names because you know who the client is, but I get it. for them, it's we've created an audience of just everybody. And then we have an audience of people who specifically have visited one of these target pages. And then we say, so show me all the landing pages where people start on the site, and then show me the proportion of people who are, end up doing this thing that we want them to do, where do they start? And there's some really clear patterns, like this blog post is terrible at driving people to the section. This blog post is fantastic. So if you're gonna market stuff to that audience, use this post, don't use that post. Is there a limit to how many of these we can have? How many of these audiences? That's a good question. I don't think so, but I would, okay. I mean, there has to be eventually. <laughs> I'm sure there is somewhere. It's just like large. The way I think of this is the, the way I think about how we do things in universal analytics with UTM parameters, right? It's kind of the same, except it sounds more powerful because with UTM parameters, we've got to send them there in the first place, right? In order for those UTMs to trigger. Now we can track anybody that hits those pages. And I would imagine, can we create even audiences within audiences? For example, anybody who hits social media marketing world pages more than X number of times can be a high interest audience. Can you do that kind of stuff? Yeah. And if you fire an event when someone enters that audience, then you could create a new audience based on people with that event plus something else. So it can just be like audiences all the way down. In order to fire events, can you do that outside? You, do you have to have Google Tech Manager to be able to fire events or can no, you? No, you can fire events specifically from someone joining an audience. So, and then you can, so you can say, you know, anyone who's visited the conference page in the last 30 days and then fire an event, say, calling, you know, audit. I usually start my audience events with AUD under bar, you know, and then conference page, for example. And then you can also say, you know, then another event when uh, this person refreshes. So if they come back in the 31st day and go to the conference page again, you fire a second event. Can you actually say if they do not take action within a certain period of time to remove them from the audience? Mm -hmm. Oh, really? You don't remove them from the audience. Okay. They're always in it once they trigger it. Yeah. But then you could see like, are they taking action? The people in this audience. Fascinating. I want to ask you a little bit about UTM parameters. I know this wasn't part of our original line of questions, but so many marketers are so heavily reliant on UTM parameters for nearly all of their organic and paid marketing to try to track where in the heck the the customer came from or the prospect came from. Does all that still work in GA4? Does some of it change? Can you talk to us a little bit about that? It's changed. Oh, no. So it works. Don't freak out. <laughs> it still does work. There's some new channels that have been added. One of them is paid social. Yay. So the downside is you can't actually create your own channels anymore in GA4. Maybe eventually you'll be able to, but right now you can't create your own channels. There are new sources, sorry, new mediums, pardon me, that you have. So if you Google GA4 channel configuration, then you'll see the list that Google's put together. And really it's based on what URL they're coming from, but there's video now, you can have an audio UTM. So for example, in the you'll notice in the document that is linked to as part of this presentation, when you click link to come to our website, you'll see that the UTM contains audio. And so that's, you know, podcast stuff, for example. So there's so many more things you can do. There, I think there's paid shopping, there's video as a channel now, there's just, there's so many more things that you can track. 
So I, I want some clarifying, like it's source campaign and medium is what we use in Universal. Yeah, and you'll still use those. Nothing changes there. It's just you have more options that will show up as specific channels now in GA4, as opposed to just going in that other where, you know, good traffic goes to die. Channels, I guess, I didn't even think about that. Channels are like the natural tracking of Facebook traffic and Google traffic. Yeah, so a channel, is it taking the medium and turning it into something nicer? So channels entirely based on the medium, the source doesn't actually matter for in some cases. But if you look up that list, there are a couple sources that matter to differentiate between different shopping networks, for example. But go take a look at the list because it is quite complete and we'll and so what I have is a spreadsheet um, that we use for our clients where we've actually listed out, you know, here's the mediums you're allowed to use, here's the sources you're allowed to use, here's how you should format campaigns. And that way there's there's good parameters. Ah. So they don't screw up the traffic too much. Okay. So then to be crystal clear. We may need to change our source campaign and mediums because what I'm hearing you say is you can't just put anything in there. You have to follow specific guidelines or is that not necessarily true? So, you know, in, in university, you'd have that channel called Other. It was just like Google doesn't know what's going on. So they're putting in Other. Right. That name in GA4 is unassigned. So it does still have a bucket for miscellaneous. You should never really have anything in there, though. You should always try to have stuff make sense. The only one that I think is really missing from GA4 and where we're telling clients, you know what, just put it in here for now. We'll sort it out later is offline. So, for example, our local clients who use flyers to advertise their services, they want to have a URL in there. We want to make sure we know if people are coming to the site from this offline flyer. There's no offline channel. So we're telling them just just use an offline medium and then we'll, we'll sort it out later. <laughs> At least that way it's being tracked. But generally speaking, we probably shouldn't have to change too much about the way we're sending data for source campaign and medium. And there's going to be some new UTM parameters coming, but I don't think they're in use yet. But you should also see them when you take a look at that, that channel configuration as well. Awesome. All right. We talked a little bit about reporting. I want to dig a little bit deeper. The native reporting inside of GA4, you said, is not very good. Does it have the kind of reporting people are used to in universal analytics or is everything gone and you're just not going to be able to find anything? It's just really basic. Like if you want to know any people came to the website from organic, sure. If you want to know literally anything more than that, mm, <laughs> it's hard to get at. Oh, wow. Okay. So wait a minute. For example, let's just take our sales page, right? For our social media marketing world. Like normally we'll go there and we'll look at the campaign parameters, you know what I mean? And try to determine where everybody was, all the traffic was coming from. And we'll also look at maybe like if we're doing paid, we'll look at whether or not those conversions came. Is it, Can we still do that kind of stuff? You'd have to create an exploration to do that. And what I hate about exploration, explorations are kind of like the, the do-it-yourself reports. Oh. But the problem with explorations, you can't control the width of the columns. Oh, wow. So sometimes it's really hard to read. And so I, I go over them in my, my course on advanced GA4. I also complain about the column width quite a bit, I think, in those videos. So instead, I think you're going to have to use Looker Studio slash Google Data Studio, which is a really important tool, I think, to pick up if you haven't been using it. Just So I mentioned earlier, get your data in BigQuery, then use BigQuery as your data source to run reports in Looker Studio. So the nice thing about using Data Studio is that when you go in and if you want to make changes to the data, so earlier I mentioned, you know, you're going to have an offline medium. It's going to go into unassigned in GA4. Well, in Data Studio, you can actually change it to make, you can make your own channels. You can re-slice the data in different ways. And it doesn't touch the original data source. It's like a presentation layer that sits on top of the data. So you never harm your original data by going in there and doing this stuff. And it's a really powerful reporting tool because you can do so much with it. Back when it wasn't called Looker Studio, when it was called Data Studio, I remember you could just one-click integrate into, into Universal Analytics 
Can you not do that with GA4? Oh, yeah, you can. It's just the, the data that you get is going to have the same thresholding that I mentioned earlier. So it won't necessarily be totally complete. So that's why if you have it in BigQuery, use BigQuery as your data source because you'll actually have complete data. But if you just want to run something quick and you don't need it to be, you're looking for trends, not absolutes, which is what I always recommend anyway about data, then you can use GA4 as a data source. That That is just fine. Okay, let's spend a little bit of time talking about Looker Studio. Other than changing the name, I remember that it was kind of like a blank canvas and you can drag elements in there and you you could have drop downs and date ranges and create cool little graphs and charts. Has that all remained or have they completely changed? Oh, yeah. Okay. No, it looks exactly the same. The only thing that's different is the completely ridiculous name. And can you easily share that with staff members and stuff? Because the good news about Universal Analytics was that everybody could, well, yeah, you'd have to share that too. You'd have to share it. Yeah. So there's custom reports in Universal Analytics and it sounds like there is, they have a new name for it. You just called it Explorations or something Explore, like that? Explore, yeah. And there's a limit to what you can do because of the tables is what you're saying. But and, and you can share them, but not well, and it's not great. So I, but you can share in, in Looker Studio, it's way easier to share stuff. And you can even create scheduled emails. So some clients like to get an email once a week with their dashboard link, for example, it's pretty simple. If everybody listening right now wants to start kind of using GA4, what do you recommend the steps be? Obviously, I think you mentioned at the beginning, you got to go ahead and I think there's just a button inside of Universal Analytics to start collecting data into GA4, right? Yeah, but I wouldn't use that. Oh, really? Okay. Because it's tied. I don't know how Google's going to handle this. If you click that button, it's tied to your Universal Analytics property. So what's going to happen on July 1st when Universal Analytics shuts off? I don't know. I mean, I I hope they'll do something, but knowing Google, they won't. They'll forget about it. So, because I mean, we all we've worked with Google for years, right? They they do stuff all the time, and they don't necessarily customer service is never their top priority. So, what I would suggest is go into analytics, go into your analytics account, and then create a new property. It'll be when you go into the admin. There's a column called account. There's a column called property, and then there's a column called view, which you'll see only in Universal Analytics. There's no views in GA4. And then at the top of the middle column, you'll see a button that says create property. Click that, create a GA4 property, go through the steps. At the end of that, you'll get what's called a measurement ID. And it's a G dash followed by a bunch of letters and numbers. That is the same as that UA dash number situation that you had from Universal. That's, that's your measurement ID. And then that's what you would put in Tag Manager or in some sites, you, know, you put it directly on the site. So that is your new ID for that stuff. Okay. There are still a lot of people who are obviously like, eyes rolling back a little bit because this sounds so darn complex. And and like you said earlier, you will eventually love it. Is there stuff that you've been able to discover for your clients or for your own business that you just frankly could never have known before by using GA4? Oh, yeah. So one of the things that we started recording is it's so much easier for us to report on content consumption now. We had to do some pretty wild creative stuff in Data Studio to get the data out in a useful format. So now reporting on it is so much simpler. I can't believe how quickly we can report on this stuff now. But things that I never would have recorded as events before. So for example, if you have different dropdowns on your site so people can access different sections, like did they get to this page, the menu? Did they get to it through an in-body link? I never would have bothered capturing that before because it would be too difficult to decipher out of Universal. You can go ahead and capture it. You know, you can create what are called user properties. So, uh, you know, thinking about, for example, people who come to the conference or don't come to the conference, you can actually assign them a user property based on what they've done. And then that you get one user property per you know, person or device, particularly. So you could also use user properties. I mean, I think the biggest thing is, is really looking at the site. You know, when we approach websites, the first thing that we do when we're doing analytics is we make what's called a gold charter. And we have a blog post on our site about that as well, which I can link to. 
And then goal charters, we're really thinking about what are the overall goals for this organization? And then how can analytics support us knowing whether or not we're hitting those goals, right? And something like bounce rate or page views is rarely a business goal for an organization. Same thing with like rankings, right? Rankings are rarely a business goal. So really trying to break it down and then that helps you figure out what you need to build in the report, which also helps you look at the website and figure out what kinds of things you need to record. Because I always tell people, you know, approach analytics from a question answer perspective, not the question is, what is the most productive channel in terms of conversions, not how many people came to my website from various channels, right? So I think that that's where you're really approaching it from more of a storytelling perspective, which again, you know, unless you're working for yourself and you're making reports for yourself, eventually you're going to have to show this to somebody else. And at that point, you know, the rules for reporting, according to me anyway, should be, you should not be there to explain the report. The report should explain itself, which means you have to make it as clear as possible, right? And I think that that's one of the most important skills as a marketer is being able to create clear narratives that explain whether or not you're doing a good job. And frankly, like even if you're not doing a good job, even if let's say you're running LinkedIn ads and it's not going well and you don't know what to say to the client, at least you can say, hey, you know what? We realized we ran these LinkedIn ads. People aren't even scrolling 25% of the way down the page because you're recording that. And so you can say, you know what, instead, I think we're going to need to move the stuff around or this audience isn't working. Let's just shut it off. But you're coming at them with solutions instead of just throwing a, you know, 50 page report at them and hoping that they'll figure it out. That's not a way to build trust with a client, right? You want to be clear and honest with them. Well, first of all, thank you so much for answering all my questions. I know that there's people that are going to want to check you out and you mentioned a resource. So if you want to go ahead and we should mention that your courses on LinkedIn learning are very affordable. In the United States dollars, we're talking like $40 or less, but where can people discover, where do you want to send them if they want to, first of all, connect with you on the socials, if you have a preferred social platform, and then if they want to check out your company, where do you want to send them? Yeah. So I'm Dana DiTomaso on Twitter, which if you can spell it, job. Um, <laughs> I've discovered through Google Search Console that people spell my last name all kinds of ways and people still find me. There's only two Dana DiTomasos in the world. The other one and I are actually friends on Facebook, although we are not related. Yeah, so that's one place to find me. I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn, of course, because of the courses. So you can also search for me there and follow me on LinkedIn. And then I'm going to provide a link. It's uh, kickpoint.ca slash SME. And I'm going to have a bunch of resources there as well that you can uh, check out. And that, what did you call it? The WordPress plugin is going to be in there as well, right? That we we yep. talked about for the consumption thing and also you, how to set it up in Tag Manager. So it's kickpoint.ca slash SME. Dana, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you spending your time with us and answering all of our questions. And folks, like you got to get on this, like do not wait because the clock is ticking. Thanks again, Dana. Thank you so much. Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 537. And if you're new to the show, be sure to follow us. If you've been a longtime listener, would you let your friends know about this show? I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.